How's it going, guys? Kyle Brotherson here with Dirt Bike Channel. Uh, we are coming to you. This is going to be podcast episode number. I'm not exactly sure because I don't know how I'm going to release these things. Uh, but I've been trying to get some content out. And hopefully we're going to have some guests on the show and cover a bunch of topics that you guys are interested in. Today's topic is going to be all about the KTM 2020 uh, TPI bikes. I've got two of these bikes. I've been putting a bunch of time on them. I've got over, I've got right around 40 hours on my two 2020 bikes. I've got um, a 250XC TPI and a 300XC TPI. And I have to say that they are two of the best running dirt bikes that I have ever been around. It doesn't matter whether it's carbureted, EFI, these suckers are on point and I am just thrilled with them. They've been unbelievably good for me and I'm, I'm just like, I'm kind of in love with them. And isn't that what we want in our dirt bikes? You know, with my 2019, I, I had a number of the 2019 TPI bikes and they were very good. I have, I still have one of them. Um, it's the 2019 300 XCW TPI and it, it runs amazing now, especially uh, with that bike. It had kind of a little bit of an issue with it. I had to put a get ECU on it to kind of clean up the issues that I was having. Um, but with the 2020 TPI, TPI bikes, I have not had to do that. They both run absolutely incredible. Uh, it, with their stock in their stock form. And I haven't even updated them to, you know, kind of the newer update on the ECUs um, from the dealer where supposedly it's supposed to make the, um, you know, the ambient air sensors uh, work a little bit better. I have not done that with my bikes yet. Uh, I do plan on doing that. And I'll get to that later in the episode. But as far as just the bikes running, they run unbelievably amazing. I'm going to go through a bunch of different things. This is going to be kind of a, a shotgun style here where I'm going to go through uh, the things that I like and then a few things that are kind of bugging me about the bikes, but mostly it's it's just the things that they've done right because they have way more right here than they have wrong. There are a few things that, that irk me, and I will say those uh, here in, in this podcast as well. Um, so we're going to cover a lot of inf information. We're going to come, we're going to cover the, you know, the engine output, how smooth they are. We're going to cover, uh, power valves. We're going to cover, uh, the maps. We're going to cover the updated valving in the forks and in the shocks. We're going to talk about how much pressure, um, I'm running in the forks, uh, because it's not what KTM says to do. Uh, we're going to talk about the planted feel of the rear end. We're going to talk about how they changed the gearing on these, uh, 2020 XC bikes. They, it's a little bit different gearing. We're going to talk about whether or not you need a fan, a radiator fan for your bike. You know, they run a little bit hotter. We'll talk about whether or not you need a fan. Um, we're talking about the pipe. We're going to talk about how lean they run um, and, and what that does to the bike. Um, we'll talk about fuel economy a little bit here. Um, fuel economy depends on the rider uh, and the terrain, but we're going to talk about that. We'll talk about the oil reservoir where it's mixing the oil in your fuel, how long that, how long you can go talk about the brakes. We'll talk about the clutch. We'll talk about the tires. Um, and then, yeah, that's, uh, th those are kind of the main things that we're going to cover today. So this is going to be, you know, buckle in strap down <laughs> because I've got, I've got a lot of thoughts on these bikes because I've been riding them now for, I've got two of them and I've got 40 hours on them or right around that. It may be 35, 40 hours, somewhere in there. I've got to look at my data sheets. Um, but again, like I said, they're two of the best uh, running bikes that I've been that I've been around. And and you would say, well, Kyle, why did you buy a 250XC and a 300XC? Why those bikes? Why not the Ws? Well, it's because I prefer the I, I, I prefer the ge the geometry and the the positioning and everything of the XC bikes. I I have ever since 2015 when I first got a, a an XC model, 
and I have continued to prefer them. I, I, the XCW is fine, and I, I can get jiving with the XCW and everything, but when I come back to the XC, I just feel at home on that. And then, you know, the 250 versus the 300, they're just very subtle differences. I, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't be able to tell the difference. Everyone thinks that they can, but everyone thinks that they can tell the difference between whole milk and 2% milk. And blind taste test studies show that a lot of people can't tell the difference between 2% milk and whole milk, even though they think they can. In blind tests, they can't. And I think that that, is, that would also kind of hold true with 250 versus 300 on these two-stroke bikes. Everyone would be like, oh, I'd be able to tell. And, and maybe you can after a while, but I think I, could, I think I could trick you. I think I could take the stickers off my bike and say, hey, uh, what do you think of my 250 and put you on the 300 and you wouldn't know or vice versa. But there are some subtle differences and we can get into that in another podcast, but I like the differences between the 250 and the 300. And then I'm giving away the 300XC TPI. So that's a bike that will be given away. My sweepstakes starts October 15th. It runs through December 15th. If you go to my website, dirtbikechannel.com, every $5 that you spend gets you entered in to win um, that that uh, 2023 XC TPI. I'm also giving away my 2019 250 XC. So the winner of that sweepstakes is going to have to really decide between which which bike they want, and then the second the runner up person is going to get the the leftover bike. So let's get in and let's talk about um, my experience so far on these bikes. First thing to say is that these things are smooth operators. I mean, when you get on the bikes, especially the way that the the three of them that I have been around and, and put um, you know through thrown a leg over and ridden, they are very smooth and set up very um, gentle and docile is is probably the best way to say it from the factory. They have the power valves adjusted on the bikes that I have seen, and they're not all the same, but they have the power valves adjusted in about maybe two and a half or three turns from flush with the, with the outside of the case. Now on these TPI bikes, they don't give us the, uh, the auxiliary uh, springs that they used to on the carburetor bikes. And then there was this talk about them not wanting you to change those things. And so on the 2018s and the 2019s, I didn't really adjust the power valve. So I thought the bikes ran amazing the way that they were, but the, but the power valve screw was adjusted closer to flush on these 2020s that I have. And a couple others that I've been around, they are adjusted way in. And what that does is it puts more uh, preload on that auxiliary power valve uh, you know, on, inside the motor and it keeps it closed longer. So that's what you're doing when you're adjusting your power valve is you're saying, do I want the power valve to come open fully at a lower RPM or at a higher RPM? If it comes open uh, at a lower RPM, that was kind of like what the red springs used to do. Um, back in, on the other bikes, if you keep the power valve closed longer to a higher RPM, that's more what the green spring would do. Now, and everyone's different, but I just kind of like the way that the, I always liked the way that the red spring felt in the, in the older bikes and the carburetor bikes. And so the way that I decided to do, I, I'm like, look, this bike, these, the 250 and the 300 are just a little bit too smooth and a little bit too docile for me. And so I ended up adjusting those things out. Um, and I'm totally just going to do this. I, 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 I don't know. I think that one of the reasons why they didn't want us to adjust them on the 2018s and the 2019s, it was because of emission things. They want to keep the emissions down. The whole reason we went to TPI and that's a whole nother podcast as well is because of emissions. It wasn't because carburetors suck or anything like that. It was because of emissions. They needed to pass emission standards in Europe. And that's why everything went to TPI for KTM. So that's how we got that. Um, but I adjusted both of my power valves out. I'm out. I'm probably, I'm not out to flush 
on them. I just turned them out a turn, a turn and a half or so, and it woke up both of the motors and they both run awesome now. In fact, one of them I probably did turn two turns out from where it was, but it's still not out completely flush that screw with the edge of, you know, the housing there. Um, and that's how I like to run them. So, uh, they do have updated maps from 2019 to 2020 and the maps, in my opinion, run smooth and awesome. I'm riding here at, well, the lowest I've ridden them, uh, these two bikes actually is 4,500 feet or 4,700 feet, I guess at my house. Most of the riding we've been doing is from 6,000 feet up to 9,000 feet. And then I've done some stuff up to, I don't know, pushing 10, five, 10, seven, pushing 11,000 feet. And the bikes have run really, really awesome for that whole time. On both of the bikes, I did have one time where I can tell that the ambient air pressure sensor wasn't doing its thing while the bike was in motion. And so I, KTM has like an update that the dealers are supposed to have where you can go in there and get your bike updated, reflash the ECU, which, and, and this might actually just be the, be the dealer setting the bikes up incorrectly from, from the factory and then KTM making it easier for them to do that when, when the bike gets there to, to the dealer, because the dealer has to unlock the bike. Otherwise it'll only run for like an hour or something. And I think if the dealer doesn't do like cross this T and, and dot that I, then the ambient air pressure sensor doesn't get kind of activated all the way. And so it isn't, it isn't constantly adjusting for the ambient air pressure sensor while you're riding. It will, it will reset when you shut the bike off. And I know, I know that it does this because one time on each bike in the, in the 40 hours, um, there was a time I'll, I'll give you, we were up in Idaho and I was on, which bike was it? It must've been the 250 XC that day. And we had a stretch of trail where in about four and a half or five miles, you climb about 4,000 feet. It was awesome trail. And then once you get to the top of it, you just drop off the other side and it's another five miles down and you're dropping, you know, 3,500 or 4,000 feet. Well, most of the way up that trail and I'm ripping through it and it doesn't take me very long. As I was coming into corners on that 250 XC and letting off the gas, it was almost, the bike was almost dying. You couldn't tell when you were on the gas, but when you let off the gas coming into a corner on the single track, it would, it was just about ready to die. And it did that about three corners. And then I decided to stop shut the bike off. I counted to five or six, shut the, or turn the bike back on. And then boom, it ran perfect the rest of the way up. So I know the ambient air pressure sensor reset everything as I was gaining extreme amounts of elevation. It reset it with that, you know, five to six second, uh, shut off. And that was great. The ambient air pressure sensor is supposed to do that for you while you're going. Um, and a lot of people, e even if, even if it didn't, <laughs> um, uh, it, most people aren't going to be able to climb 3,500 feet in five minutes. Um, and so most people will never get into that situation. And even if you do or did like I did shutting the bike off for five seconds and then going again, that is, <laughs> that's hardly something to be super, com you know, complaining about, especially with how good the bike runs, you know, before and after that. And so I had to do that once on the 250 XC. I also had to do that once on the 300 XC, uh, so I'm going to go down and, and try to get my bikes reflashed and see if the dealer can get them, get the computer unlocked properly so that that ambient air pressure sensor will do its thing the way it's supposed to. Um, okay. So moving on from that, well, let's talk about the front fork. So they went to, it's still an air fork, which I really like the air forks because of the adjustability that you have with them. Uh, they, they changed the name on it and they said it's the exact fork. It's a 48 millimeter, uh, air fork called the exact fork. And the, they made some 
they made some changes to these things where they're more compliant and they're more plush. And I know this because I can ride it back to back with my 2019 250XC and I can put the same air pressure in both of those bikes. And, and I, it isn't that one is worn out either. Both of the bikes, the, the 2019 had 22 hours on it and the 2020 had 14 hours on it when I did them back to back. And the updated valving in that fork on the 2020 is more compliant for the bumps and the sharp rocks. It's just better. It gives it more of a planted feel on that front end. And another thing to, to mention here is I'm starting to run less and less pressure on those, on those air forks. And the less, the, the less amount of air that I put in those things, the more I like the way that they handle. So um, in the KTM manual, it says that standard, standard is 139 PSI. That's what they say that you, you should run standard. Uh, I, I don't know what the bar it is. I'm just looking at the PSI, but you can extrapolate that out. And for a couple of years, I was running them basically on essential, on exactly what uh, KTM said, which was 139. And I found that um, running less pressure makes them more compliant and even better. So you can you guys can start doing that. I'm running right down for the single track stuff testing that we've been doing here. I'm running down around 120 PSI. And yes, they will build up some pressure on your ride. You know, so if you're looking for 120 PSI, you might want to start it out at 118. And then throughout that ride, it will build because it heats up every, you know, the air heats up inside of there, it expands. And so it will build up a little bit of pressure, but it's not enough that I feel like I need to let pressure out in the middle of my ride. But I do, uh, I do recommend running a little bit lower pressure than what it says in the manual because it makes the fork so much more compliant. And I love that. I love the fact that if we're riding single track in the mountains and the, and we're going to have, you know, slower speeds, you know, we're not going to get out of, we're not going to get anything above third gear. I can run a lower pressure. And then, you know, as the temperatures cool down and we end up out in the desert, I can run a little bit higher pressure. And that's where that air fork is really, really valuable for me. You know, like on the beta, uh, the beta fork, uh, on the RR, the 390 RR that I have, which is soon going back to beta as soon as they'll swap it out for me. Um, that fork is incredible straight out of the box, uh, but it's not as adjustable as the air fork. Um, I will say though, that if you run the KTM fork with 139 PSI, and then you go over to that beta sax fork, that close cartridge, 48 millimeter fork, the beta fork is better if you're running the KTM fork with as much air pressure as they tell you to. But if you will drop the pressure down on the air fork, then it becomes just as good, if not a little better than the Saks fork, in my opinion, and it gives you that uh, versatility, which is awesome. Right. Uh, the rear end, they made some also some valving changes to that, and I feel like it, it's just a little bit more planted compared to my, K, my 2019 KTM. I can ride them back to back, which I have on the same trail, and there's something, and I'm even running the same tires, guys, um, and there's something about the 2020 feel that is just more planted than the 2019. Um, they changed the gearing on the XC. So one of the problems um, that people, and I'll get into this a little bit later, one of the problems that people have had with the TPI bikes is they feel like it has a little, it's a little bit softer on the bottom end. And I think that's because they run so much leaner. Uh, they don't have as much fuel, especially on those low RPMs. And so it makes the bottom end just a little bit less punchy than what we what a lot of people were used to on the um, on the carbureted uh, two strokes. So in order to combat that, um, KTM actually geared the bike down just slightly, and I think it actually worked. They went to a fifty-one tooth sprocket. In prior years, the uh, XC bikes all had thirteen uh, tooth front sprockets and fifty tooth rear sprockets, 
Now they come with that same 13 on the front, but a 15 tooth on the rear. And I didn't know how I liked it at first because you can tell that it's slightly lower geared. And I didn't know if I was going to like it. But as I put more and more time on it, I think that was the right change to make because then it makes that, it gears that bike down just slightly enough where you get that low end back or, or, or you're overcoming the fact that it's a little softer on the low end. And I didn't miss, I don't miss the low end on these bikes. We're taking, we're taking harder lines and harder trails than we ever have before. And it's just working. <clears throat> Excuse me there. Um, which brings me into a sec- another thing. Do you need a radiator fan? So let's talk about this. So these TPI bikes do run slightly hotter um, because they're running less fuel. Okay. So if you're the hard enduro guy where you're always in first gear and a lot of times there's no air moving through the radiators, yes, you're going to need a fan. But guess what? You needed a fan even on a carbureted bike. So nothing has really changed here. I rode these bikes, these TPI bikes for the first, I would say for the first, um, if I've put 40 hours on them, the first 30 hours of those bikes was without radiator fans. And I can tell you that the only time they got hot were in the same places that my carbureted bikes got hot. And the only time they, they pushed out coolant was in the same places that my, my, um, my carbureted bikes pushed out the coolant. Now, they pushed out coolant a little bit quicker because they run a little bit hotter. I would say it's about five degrees is about what it manifests itself. And so if you have a section of trail where you, you know, usually on, if you don't have a fan on your, on your carbureted bike and you can make three quarters up the trail before the bike starts to overheat on this TPI bike, you'll make it 70% of the way. Instead of 75% of the way, you're going to make it 70% of the way. It's going to overheat just a touch sooner than your other bike. So it's not a lot. The way that you know, if you need a radiator fan is if you're a first gear guy, who's, who's not putting a lot of air through the, through the, uh, the, the radiator. So if you're doing first gear, first gear hill climbs and stuff where, where you're spinning with the rear, you probably are going to need a radiator fan, but you already knew that because your, your carburetor bike needed a radiator fan there too. If you can, here's the thing. If, if generally speaking, you can get out of first gear and get into second gear, you're not going to need a fan. We did some major, major hill climbs in, um, when we were up in Idaho on, I was doing it on that 300, you know, just these slow going, really technical trails. And I didn't have the bike overheat. If I was able to maintain even high RPMs in first gear, if I'm, if I've got a head of steam in first gear, I'm not, I'm not overheating. And if I can click up into second gear, there's enough uh, air coming through those radiators that I didn't need a fan. The only time I got into trouble, um, which were the times when I was in first gear and I was spinning the bike you know, so I didn't have momentum and that's where the bike will get hot and start to push out some coolant and you need to stop. If you put a fan on the bike, it's just like all the other bikes that I've been around. They just kind of chug along because there's enough air moving through with that fan that it, it works and the bikes, the bike's good to go. So do you need a fan? Well, look back and see if you needed a fan on your other bikes. And then that's the answer to your question. If you're the type of guy that never does anything technical, and the worst thing that you do is a first gear hill climb where you're maintaining traction and maintaining, you know, airflow into your goggles. You're not going to need it. If you're the type of rider that is steaming up your goggles because there's no airflow coming into your goggles, you're going to overheat the motor, but you already knew that. And so you'll need a fan, not a huge deal here. They run a teeny bit hotter and, but it's not enough to be like, well, I've never needed a fan before, but now I do. That isn't how this is. If you needed a fan in the past, you need one going forward. So not a lot of difference there. Let's talk about the pipe a little bit. The pipe um, on the 2020 bikes, they've, it's a corrugated pipe, which 
adds a little bit of strength to it. And I do think it does add strength. But the bigger improvements to me are how they've kind of got the pipe tucked up higher and they've kind of rounded the corners off and everything to keep it tucked up in a way. And that helps. It, it helps. You're still going to get dings on the pipe if you're, if you're doing nasty, hard enduro stuff, if you're crossing logs and, you're, and you drop, the, you know, you drop the, um, the front wheel down too quickly over the other side. Uh, you can still hit this pipe, but it is tucked up better and it's tucked up further away, and I really like it. Uh, it's, it's, it's very strong and they, they keep improving that just slowly, ever so slowly to the point that it's nowhere near as obtrusive as like a 2015 or even a 2016 or 2017 pipe. They've got them up higher. They're tucked up in a way. Only problem is the aftermarket, uh, pipes that I've seen so far, like from FMF and pro circuit, they aren't tucked up as far. They don't use the same bend as the KTM pipe that I've seen so far. And so it makes it so that, um, I prefer the stock pipes on them now. And I, I'm hoping that we can get uh, we can get some aftermarket people to come out here and give us a pipe that looks a lot like the uh, stock pipe. Um, so hopefully that, hopefully, you hear the crickets there? Yeah, there's crickets. We're wanting to see those, you know, those aftermarket pipes come out. And I would like to see them be in the same exact um, place, the same exact bend, and placement as the stock pipe. Um, one of the problems with the stock pipe is they're so freaking expensive to replace. They're like twice as much money as the aftermarket pipes, which, which sucks. Um, we talk about how lean they run on the low end. So the reason why we have TPI and the reason why they run lean, this is due to emissions. Um, so with those emissions, they had to take a lot of the fuel out of there to make sure that they could pass emissions. And that, um, that's why we have TPI. KTM wasn't going to be able to continue to sell bikes in Europe because they needed to pass the Euro 4 and Euro 5 emission standards by a certain time frame. Otherwise, they'd stop selling them in Europe, and that would be catastrophic for their business. So they went to the TPI. That's why we have it. Um, but you do get more. You do get um, that back with that subtle gearing change that we talked about. Um, fuel economy. Fuel economy on these bikes is actually very good. And I think a lot of the reason for this is because you're not dumping out fuel out of the overflow in your carburetor. We People underestimate the amount of fuel that was wasted by fuel coming out of your carburetor. I'd see, I would see carburetors dripping all the time. And it wasn't because a float was stuck. It was just because everything is bouncing around and they've got all these vent tubes and you know, the carburetor's in this violent position. It's always bouncing up and down. And so it's got overflow tubes and vent tubes everywhere. And, and gas was being leaked out all the time. It was being dripped out all the time. I would notice it a lot when we were on like slick rock where you could see where gas would drip out because um, it would make a little mark on, on the ground. You'd slam through a G out and boom, there's more gas coming out. So these TPI bikes don't do that. They don't drop out all that fuel, which is, which is awesome. Um, and then they also are just efficient. And so it depends on the, um, depends on the terrain. Everyone's like, what, what's your mileage? Well, I can tell you what the, the total miles miles are on a lot of the rides that we're going on. And they can kind of extrapolate back and be like, well, you know, one rider might be out of, and I've seen this happen before where we're on a ride and maybe I'm out of fuel and maybe Sam or Tyler or somebody who's on the same bike as me, um, they, they still have a lot more fuel than me. So the rider can make a big difference on this. And if your carburetor isn't tuned, that makes a big difference. But where these TPI bikes should be running basically uniformly, um, 
it, it's, it comes back to how much is the rider twisting the throttle? How much fun are they having? <laughs> and then what is the train like? I would say though, it's safe to say that these bikes are getting between 30 and 40 miles per gallon, depending on the terrain and depending on the rider. If it's really, really nasty, it could get as low as 25 miles to the gallon, which would put you around 55 miles that you could go. We have done multiple 60 and 65 and 75 mile rides, and I haven't run out of fuel yet. I've seen the low flight, uh, the low fuel light come on a couple of times, and it's pretty bright. Um, so it's, it's hard to miss, especially if you're standing up and you're moving around on the bike, you'll eventually see that. But you should be able to go anywhere between 30 and 80 miles on a tank, and then you just fill the sucker back up, and it's it's good. Um, the range, even though they dropped the the um, the overall uh, fuel capacity down, because I think they're they used to be 2.6 gallon tanks, and now they're like 2.2 or 2.4. Anyway, they've dropped them down just a little bit, but the increase in the <clears throat> fuel economy and and then just not dumping it out of the overflow has kind of made up for the fact that they have a smaller tank and I think they have a smaller tank because you have to clip on the fuel pump and you've got the fuel pump and the, and the filter inside of the tank and all those things. So it takes up more of that, more of that room. Um, the oil reservoir oil, the oil lasts for a long time on these bikes. I, as part of my routine after about every three tanks of gas, um, I just top off the, the two stroke oil as part of my routine. And I've just been running the cross power, the motor X cross power two T I've got no reason to not use that um, because it even has a convenient little, um, you know, kind of like hose thing funnel on the top of those bottles. The biggest reason why I would use MotorX on my other bikes is because I could get it in eight ounce bottles, which meant I didn't have to measure anything. I would just dump the eight ounce bottle of, of um, Amsoil. Amsoil is what I'm saying. I used to, I in my in my carbureted bikes, I ran Amsoil forever. It was um, the Amsoil Saber, and the reason why I did that is it wasn't because I thought it was better oil. It was it was because I knew it was good oil, and I didn't have to measure it. I would just dump the eight ounce bottle into a five gallon gas can, put five gallons of gas in, and I know that I'm eighty to one. That's the reason I would do it is convenience. Now that I'm a T, I'm on a TPI bike, and I don't have to measure the oil at all. I'm just topping off an oil reservoir. There's no reason for me not to use the Motor X, you know. So I can just dump it in the oil reservoir and be good to go. And like I said, I haven't, um, I haven't had the oil light come on yet. I've seen it come on on someone else's bike, and it's it's bright. And once the oil light comes on, you should have at least a full tank of gas worth of oil still left down in there in the bottom of that reservoir. So you should be able to finish any ride um, that you're on if that oil light comes on. But I've been putting, I think you can go at least four tanks, maybe five tanks of gas before you'd be out of oil. So that's pretty cool. Um, the brakes are the Brembo, Brembo brakes. They're amazing as usual. Um, not really anything to cover there. They're the best in the business. Uh, the clutches are strong. They're on point. It's a hydraulic clutch. So it's, it's constantly adjusting. So your clutch, you know, you don't have to, I never have any brake fade or clutch fade. We have had some time, uh, some, some experiences recently on people's bikes when they got up around the hundred hour mark where their brakes started to fade and then they had to replace their brake fluid and then everything was good to go. Um, but on these newer bikes, the brakes are amazing front and rear clutches on point. Um, I don't like all the white. So here's a couple of, here's a couple of gripes that I have. I don't like all the white on the bike, especially on the rear fender. I just feel like it shows everything. 
The white seems to just get scratched easier and look dingier faster, and I don't love all the white on the bike. I got to be honest. The other thing I don't like is the rear fender. I hate how there's no place to grab on the bike when you're pulling it around. There just isn't. And when you grab on the plastic, it's easy to kind of tear the plastic out of the little uh, hooks that they have where the rear fender meets the kind of the number plate uh, plastics. It's just not a good thing. And I've tried to put, um, we need, we need a place to grab on the freaking things. And I've tried these uh, little fly racing uh, straps that are for the little fifties and I've put them on my bike and I've broken four of them because they're straps for the little fifties that go over the seat uh, that you would use to pull a 50 around, but because they are not designed for these big heavy bikes, you end up tearing them off these. So they don't work on the, on the big bikes. I've ruined four of them so far, but there's no place to grab on that fender. I don't know why KTM can't just kind of look at what beta is doing or even do what they're doing on the freaking XEWs. On the XEWs, there's a nice place to kind of get your hand around there and grab the bike and pull it around. They don't do that on the XCs and it sucks. So yeah, they need to figure that out. And obviously I hate the fact that we have no kickstart. I haven't yet it hasn't yet bit me on one of these 2020s, but it's bit us on other bikes. You know, whether you have a short in the wiring going up to the switch or you have a dead battery or yada, yada, yada. And then guys would say, well, if you have a dead battery, your bike won't start anyway because it won't start. Even if you have a kickstart, you can't start one of these TPI bikes if it's got a dead battery. I do know that if you unhook the battery, it won't start. I don't 100% know that. And that could be the fact that I've got the battery unhooked. Um, I think it probably won't run on a dead battery as well, but I actually I haven't run a battery all the way dead just for the purposes of seeing if the bike will run. If you t- if you unhook one of the battery terminals, the bike will not run. You can't bump start it. You can't kick start it. You can't anything. Um, but that might have to do with the fact that now I have an open loop. The circuit is open. If the circuit is closed with just a dead battery, I don't know. Maybe it would run, but I doubt it. So anyway, I hate the fact that we lost our kick starts. Um, I don't like all the white plastic. I don't like the rear fender, uh, but the rest of the bike, the rest of these bikes are absolutely incredible. And when you ride them back to back with an 18 or a 19, you get to see that they have made changes and they do make changes and they are making the bikes better. Back in 2015, I remember sitting around a campfire with Sam, one of my buddies. We were, we had our families and we were riding these 2015 KTM 300s and we were just kind of talking about how, how do you make a bike better than that? You know, and then in 2017, they did, they made a huge quantum leap forward in the 2017 model year. That's when they went to the, um, the counterbalance motors. They had an updated frame. They went to the air fork, which was a big improvement in my opinion, over the old four CS fork that the 2015s and 16s had. And, and so here we were going, how are they going to make a better bike than that? And they did, they did in 2017. It was much better. And then in 2018, they made some minor improvements. 2019, they made some minor improvements. 2020, they made some minor improvements. And what this all means is if you have a 2020, uh, these, I mean, if you have a 2017, these 2020 bikes are significantly better in, in, a, in some ways than your 17. Your 17 is still an amazing bike. If you've got a 2016 KTM, this 2020 is going to blow it out of the water in every single way. Every single way. Yeah. It might not have quite as much low end. Okay. So I'll give you that one. Um, but if you want more low end on these bikes, you can add more fuel by getting an aftermarket get ECU for the thing. And that way you get to, 
you get to update the fuel maps and you get to add fuel here, there, take fuel there uh, away there. You can uh, advance or retard the timing. I may do some testing with a get ECU down the road on these bikes, just for the people that like to fiddle with things, uh, because it is pretty cool to fiddle with it on the 2019, um, 300 that I have. But as far as does the bike need it? Uh, no, it doesn't. It doesn't need an ECU because it runs spot on, you know, and that's just me. That's my, that's my opinion. I don't get paid to say any of this stuff. KTM has never paid me a single dime. The only way money has changed hands is me paying KTM. You know, the best thing that's happened, you know, that every once in a while, they will allow me to buy a bike at like VIP pricing, which isn't even as good as the dealer pricing. And I'm thinking, and I'm, that's good. You know, that saves me a little bit of money here and there. Problem is most of the time it takes them so long. I say, Hey, I want this bike. And three months later, they're still trying to allocate one to me and I don't have it. And so I end up going off to a dealer. I've only gotten the discount on a couple of bikes uh, from KTM. Um, nine times out of 10, I'm paying full retail, just like what you guys are. And even when I'm not paying full retail, they're still making money on me. They're just knocking like a thousand dollars or something off the bike, which I'm thankful for. That's cool. Um, but they're not losing money on me. They're still making money. The, the dealers are still making money on me. And I keep coming back to them for the most part because it's the best bike out there. I'm riding all of them and I can tell you there is no better bike than the KTM. There are different bikes and, and, and that isn't taken away from Yamaha's doing a good job with, with a lot of their bikes, but they don't have two strokes that can compete directly with what KTM is doing. I love my YZ250X or the one that I had in 2017 and I've ridden, <clears throat> my one of my buddies has a, um, a 2018 Yamaha YZ250X. They're awesome bikes, but it's a 2006 bike, guys. And when you start comparing them back to back, you can, you can feel the difference. So Yamaha is long in the tooth because it is old. The technology is old. It doesn't have the right gearing. doesn't have a lot. I could go on. That's another episode for down the road, but the, but the KTM is putting out an amazing motorcycle, especially in the two strokes and the in four strokes. It's awesome as well, but where they really shine and they're really so ahead of the, the rest of the curve is on the two strokes. Now, uh, with these new betas that are coming out, the beta 2020 bikes, that's going to be um, counterbalanced. I haven't ridden one yet. I'm super excited about that. And they will have narrowed the gap a lot, I think, with their counterbalanced uh, two-stroke, the beta beta wheel in 2020. Especially if I can get those that um, you know closed cartridge um, race edition fork. That will be a formidable bike. Um, but we were talking about the 2020 KTMs here today. And that... That is kind of what I've got for you guys today. Um, yep, you can hear the applause. They're, they're out there. There's a whole, I've got a whole studio audience here that are super happy. I just muted them because I don't want them to be, I don't want them to be too loud, you know. <laughs> you, you never, you never want to have too, too much going on there. So that's what I have for you guys today. If you have questions, you can email me, uh, Kyle at dirtbikechannel.com. Um, if you have podcast suggestions, email, email me Kyle at dirtbikechannel.com. If you want to support what I'm doing, uh, you can always go over to Patreon. Patreon is a good way to support me. This is the, how I'm supporting my family now with uh, Dirtbike channel. Um, so money is tighter than it's ever been. <laughs> and if you, if I'm adding value to your life, you could, uh, one of the ways you could help is going over to Patreon. You can also get involved in the dirt bike sweepstakes that we do, um, from time to time. So go ahead and order a product, a shirt, a tie down, something from dirtbikechannel.com. You have between October 15th and December 15th in order to get entered to the sweepstakes where we're giving two bikes away. We'll be giving away the 2020 KTM 300 XCW or XC TPI and my 2019 KTM 250 XC 
it is installed. I've got Electron installed on that bike, so it should run anywhere in the country, and I'm super excited about that. So, again, um, I really appreciate all the support you guys have given me. If you want uh, contact, uh, you can reach me by email. You can reach me um, on social media, but I don't check the social media stuff as often as I do my email. Just 10, 12, well, 15 years in corporate America had me trained to be looking at my email first rather than my social media. So that's the best way to get in touch with me. You can follow us on uh, Facebook. You can follow us on Instagram. And one of the benefits of following on Facebook and Instagram is you get to see more what I'm doing day to day. The stuff that I do on YouTube kind of trails behind by about um, anywhere from one week to six weeks. Uh, What I'm doing on Instagram and YouTube is, is pretty much what I'm up to that day. You know, I might post a picture of a ride or or I don't know, it's the social media stuff is a little bit more up to date as far as keeping up with what I'm doing. And I have a dirt bike channel closed um, private group uh, that you can possibly get access to, or at least request access to. And that's some of the places where I've got a dirt bike community that is asking a lot of questions. And it's a, it's a pretty useful community in there. I'll also use that community sometimes for um, you know poll questions saying, hey, should I do this or should I do that? Which way should I go? And I I try to get feedback from you guys. So if you want to be able to provide some of that feedback and be involved with that, look for that Dirt Bike Channel closed group there on Facebook. And uh, that is pretty much what I have for you guys today. So until next time, let's keep the rubber side down.